Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. obeyed your pastor. Just kidding. Um, love you guys. I'm so excited for all that God has for Project Church. Are you excited for what he has for us? Let me tell you, this isn't something for Caleb, Chrissy, Lauren, and Veronica, the pastors on staff or the worship team. This is for every single person in this house. Do you understand that? This is our house. We're moving to a permanent home. So I feel like we are two people, two campuses coming together, moving into old Sacramento, and we have decided that we're going to be, um, we're going to trust the Lord and just allow him to use us in a mighty way. We're going to move into a new neighborhood, and we will not be those neighbors who leave our Christmas lights up until March or April. We are going to be that blessing of a, a neighbor who keeps their place nice, who invites people to our home and is just warm and and we're not creating a ruckus there. We are just serving the community. That is the type of church we're going to be, right? And so I just really am trusting him for that. We're going to be so bright out there that the darkness cannot stay in old Sacramento. It has to flee. Believe that? Well, awesome. So I'm so glad that we're able to have this kind of family conversation of where we're going as a church. Um, because that's what we're talking about this morning. Family. Family. Somebody say Family. For some of you, it gives you really joyous feelings. For others, it's like, man, my family was dysfunctional. Let's, let's be honest. Raise your hand. No, wait. Because <laughs> let's be honest, everybody's going to raise their hands and feet if you were raised in a dysfunctional family. Because the truth of the matter is, is we're all dysfunctional a little bit. Nobody's perfect. Not everybody's perfect. So no family is perfect. But I understand that it kind of brings up some weird feelings in people when you say the word family. And so this morning we're going to talk about Jesus' family and learn from him what, what family actually means. I truly believe that when we belong to the family, we begin to understand the will that God has for our lives. One of the number one questions that Caleb and I get asked or other pastors on our staff get asked is, what is the will of God for my life? And I want to submit to you this morning that to do the will of God, you have to know the will of God. And to do the will of God is to truly belong to the family of God. And so the family of God and being a part of it and belonging to it is going to help you understand the will he has for your life. And so this morning, if you could open up your Bibles to Mark 3, 31 through 35 I want to encourage some of you who have some weird feelings when we say family because Jesus didn't, he was in a time of his life where he was ministering all over and his family, his mother and brothers didn't believe in what he was doing. They were, they, they were a little concerned that he was going nutso, right? They're like, dude, this guy's a lunatic. We need to seize him. We need to, we need to talk to him and like rein him in because now these thousands of people are following him and we're just not even sure about this, this man our, our, our son, our brother. And so take heart today that if you've had, ever had weird, crunchy feelings about your family, I imagine Jesus did too, and we'll read about that here. So open up your Bibles to Mark 3. We're actually going to start in verse 20 and 21 and then skip over to 31 through 35. If you miss any of the messages, Caleb covers between the 
uh, 22 through 30. In last week's message, if you didn't get a chance to watch it, um, jump online, podcast, Apple, Spotify, all there, projectchurch.com. So Mark 3, 20 and 21. Then he went home, this is Jesus, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. He had been ministering. He had been casting demons out of people. He'd been raising people from the dead. He'd been healing people. He'd been just teaching people. And here he is coming home, and a crowd gathered again. Multitudes are following him. Some say even thousands of people are following him. And then he comes home to get some rest, and a crowd gathers again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard... They went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. How many people have had their family tell you that you are out of your mind? Or you've told other people you are out of your mind. Careful. Okay, Mark 3, 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for each person in this room um, that's a part of your family, the family of God. So as we open up your word and as we um, just read it and understand it and talk about belonging to family of of God, Lord, would you really truly um, allow your word to be a light into our path and a lamp into our feet? And God, may we move forward from this place healed and understanding what family is and ready to make an impact in this world. So we love you, God. May our heart and our mind resonate with your word and your truth in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So there's an interesting statement that Jesus says here, and it's this. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I want you to take note that it doesn't say, if you do the will of God, then you're my brother, sister, and mother. It's actually an is statement, an equal statement. It's saying, if you do the, for you do the will of God, you are my brother, sister, and mother. And that, to me, gives... What makes me want to submit to you to do the will of God is to truly belong to the family of God. To do the will of God is to truly belong to the family of God. And so the thing about doing the will of God, it's like, how do you know to, how to do the will of God? I believe that you need to first know how to know the will of God in order to do the will of God and therefore belong to the family of God. You follow? So in order to do the will of God, we have to know the will of God. And I believe that these scriptures show us and give us three quick points on how we can know the will of God so we can do the will of God and therefore be a part of the family of God. You follow? All right. Take notes. Here we go. Number one, how can I know the will of God so I can do the will of God? Number one, through drawing near, not spectating. Through drawing near, not spectating. So it says this, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him and he said to them, your mother and brothers are outside. The mother and brothers are outside with the rest of the crowds of people. I wonder in this day and age, knowing that his mother and brothers didn't really believe and kind of thought that he was a lunatic at this point. I I wonder if his mother and brothers, along with all the other people outside of this intimate gathering, 
was actually just a bunch of spectators. And then the people who were inside the house with Jesus, they were actually experiencing Jesus, talking to him, leaning into him, believing in him. I wonder how many Sundays this room is full of mostly spectators and not people truly experiencing God. Because here's the thing, we have a statistic. Barna Group did a study um, recently in 2017, and they asked a group of people if they were Christians. Many of them said that they were born a Christian. Some people are like, I was born a Christian. Mom and dad talked about Jesus all the time. I'm a Christian. But is that really a Christian? Then, it's, then the statistic that was given was 75% of America, again, 75% of America checked the box indicating that they are a Christian on a survey. And then 8%, they say they, they believe, only 8% say that they believe Jesus is God and that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. Out of those People, only 8% think that Jesus is God and that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. And so I wonder, I just wonder on a Sunday morning, all over, not in just this church, but all over the church, if some people are doing what the crowds were doing in this day and age, just come in and check out this whole Jesus thing. You know, and it's not bad. I'm just saying, but I do think that we need to move towards the understanding of what a Christian actually is. A Christian is a Christ follower. And if Christ says that he is God, then if we're going to call ourselves a Christian, then we're going to say and confess that Jesus is God and that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. So I think that there are actually not 75% of people who are Christians. There may be 75% of people that are spectators and are curious about God. But only 8%? I wonder in this room... What, who that 8% is. Probably you. No, just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. I would never do that. But, <laughs> but how many spectators are out there? It says this in the Life Application Bible, that devotion based only on curiosity or popularity fades quickly. Devotion based only on curiosity or popularity fades quickly. But when we have a relationship with Jesus and when we say that you are the Lord of my life, I confess that you are God, Jesus, and I confess that your word is the authoritative word of God, the Bible is, then that's when we say that we are Christ followers. That's when we are people experiencing the living, breathing God, the word that comes alive. That is when we can call ourselves Christians. Christ followers. We don't want to just be spectators. But then the question would be asked, how do I draw near to God and not just be a spectator? Well, I would just encourage you to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What does that look like? What does that look like? James 4.8 says this, but I believe that it means doing the next right thing doing the next right thing. God wants us to do his will. God wants us to draw near to him. So we want to do the next right thing in our lives. Sometimes when we think about the will of God, we think of it as like this, like this thing in the abyss, somewhere up there in our future. Like, how am I going to get there? And I want to just encourage you that doing the will of God is taking, and I know Caleb has said this week after week, but is taking the next right step. So what's the next right step for my life? I'm going to 
perhaps go to church. I'm going to forgive my mother. I'm going to um, give 10% to the body of Christ. I'm going to um, pray. I'm going to repent of my sins. And then it's like, okay, I still don't know what my job is. I still don't know if this is the time to to start my family. I still don't know where school I should put my kids in, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, am I even in the center of your will, God? And I'm just so confused. If you turn around and you look at all those steps that were the next right step, I'm telling you, no matter how confused you are, you can just say, you know what? I'm still in the center of God's will because I've done the next right thing each time. I haven't walked outside of his will or his way. So we don't have to have it all figured out what the end destination is. We can just look back and on the faithfulness that we've given God. And man, God, you've been faithful so I can trust you in this moment. That even though I don't know what that next step is, I can trust you in this moment that I'm still in the center of your will. And that you are still for me. I believe that when you draw near to God and you do the next right thing, he's going to be faithful to you. He will draw near to you. Don't just be a spectator. Draw near to God and experience him and ask him and, and, and just inquire of him, what's the next thing I should do, Lord? What's the next thing should I do? Is this honoring to you? Those are the questions we should be asking instead of what is the will of God? What is my purpose? No, it's a daily journey. It's a daily walk with him day by day. Don't just be a spectator. Draw near to him. Do the next right thing. When you draw near to God, you begin to understand his will so that you can do his will. And therefore, you truly belong to the family of God. So how can I know the will of God so I can do the will of God? Number one, through drawing near, not spectating. And number two, through accepting adoption, not pledging allegiance to race or bloodline. Now you see, in this day and age, much like in this day and age, apparently because of Americans who all claim to be Christians, um, 75% of us say that, even though we don't believe in the Bible. Um, in this time, the Jews were the chosen race. The Jews were the one going to heaven. The Jews were the chosen people of God. But then when Jesus entered the scene, he said that there is neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. When Jesus entered the scene, he said that you all are my chosen people. I chose every single one of you. You may not have the bloodline of the Jewish people, but you have been chosen by me, your creator. That is what adoption is all about. Now, some people read this text when Jesus is talking about um, his family. They read the text like this. Um, and he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. We read that first line like, who are my mother and brothers? Like, those guys aren't mine. You know, and it's almost like the Bible needs emojis, right, to really distinguish what he really meant. And we, we, need, we don't need to read it the way that we want to read it because some of you are like, man, yeah, I don't like my family. If they're not, if I love my church family, but the other, like, biological family, the family that I see on Thanksgiving and on Christmas, heck no. You know, like, I'm all about my church family. No, listen, God can't sin. Jesus can't sin, and one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long, right? So Jesus is not sinning here. He can't sin. But I do want to encourage you today that while some family members can be difficult, that God is going to use you and your walk with him to mend whatever's broken. 
Because God is for unity and God is for forgiveness and God is for repentance. And the only way bridges are going to be, or gaps are going to be bridged is if we walk in our Christian manner and are obedient to him and what he wants to do in that relationship. But we are not dishonoring our family. I want to encourage you today, do not dishonor your family. Jesus was not dishonoring his family. He wasn't denying his family. He was merely extending the invitation for everybody to be a part of his family. He's expanding his family. That's what Jesus was doing. But I do want to encourage you that we don't disown or dishonor our family or our biological family, but sometimes you may have to disqualify their authority over your life. Sometimes you don't want to do that, Sometimes you're just like, oh, man, I should do it because it's family. And you're almost like your religion isn't even a relationship with Jesus. It's your relationship with your family. That could be really detrimental to your faith walk. So sometimes you may, you may have to disqualify their authority over your life, but do not dishonor them. We're still called to love and respect them. Amen? But listen, I want you to understand that in John 1, 11 through 13, it says this. He came to his own and his own people. Jesus came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave us the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God from the beginning of time. His plan was that you would be chosen and that you would be adopted and grafted into the family. That was his plan for the beginning of time. You may not be Jewish in this place, but you could still be a part of the family of God. He's extended the family of God. The God that we serve is inclusive. I know that's a buzzword these days, but it was a Bible word first, all right? Like it's legit. Like this is what God is. So the ideas of inclusivity isn't just this modern term that we've come up with and we are progressing like humanity by being more inclusive. No, this was God's design from the very beginning. This was his way. And so I wanted to save this for the end because I was like, man, this is so good. But I get so excited when I talk about adoption because it says this in Romans 8, 17. And if children, and if we are children adopted into the family of God, then we are heirs. Somebody say heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. But I want you to key in on the word. We are heirs of Christ, co-heirs with Christ. So God who loved Jesus so much that he sent them to this earth to save us, he loves us as much as he loves Christ. You know, Christ gets to be at the right hand of God and one day we will be with him in heaven. We have the same inheritance that Christ has and the inheritance that Christ has as eternity is endless peace, is endless joy, is endless comfort. We have that in Christ because we've been adopted into his kingdom. That is who we serve. That is what adoption means. And I'm so thankful that we've been adopted into the kingdom. So we have a couple of friends and they had been waiting for about two years to adopt a baby. And their little guy's name is Isaiah that they were fostering for a couple of years. And it was so cool. Just two weeks ago, we were able to go to the courthouse and be with them and celebrate with them, with them as they signed the papers to make Isaiah their son. It was a beautiful thing. And what I loved about it is that ever since that day at the courthouse, 
now we're seeing full-blown pictures of him. Because you see, before he was adopted, there are all these pictures of Isaiah with like hearts over his face or just the back of him, or you can only see part of him because you can't, if he's still in fostered, being fostered, you can't put pictures out there if you're in the middle of this process of adopting. And so once he was officially adopted and the papers were signed, I jump on Instagram and I see Isaiah's full face. I see who he is. I see that his face is smiling and it's bright and it's full of joy. And he belongs to a father and a mother now. And I think that's what happens when we are adopted into the kingdom. When we are before we're adopted, we're kind of hiding ourselves almost in shame or we don't really know who we are. And then when we're adopted in the kingdom, we are everything that we're supposed to be covered in the blood of Jesus. We are seen as Jesus. God sees, looks down on us and he sees his son and he says, now you are a co-heir of my son. I love that adoption, adoption, accept the adoption. Through accepting adoption, not through pledging allegiance to your bloodline or thinking that you were born into something, that is not the way of understanding God's will or knowing God's will or being a part of the family of God. Just because your parents knew God doesn't mean that you know God. And God is saying, I want a relationship with you. I want you to understand that I chose you and that you're for, I am for you. So we've been adopted when we accept that God has adopted us as his own son and daughter, the moment we said yes, then we understand his will so that we can do his will and truly belong to the family of God. And number three, how can I know the will of God so I can do the will of God? Through building relationship, not following religion. Through building relationship, not following religion. It says this, and this is the key verse that I said mentioned earlier. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. But again, I want you to understand, it's not a works-based faith that we're talking about here this morning. It's not like I have to do something in order to get something from God. But th- that's what religion says. If you look at all the other religions in this world, you have to do something in order to attain, um, attain higher power or connection with a deity. But that's not Christianity. That's not being a true Christ follower. Religion, the narrative is this. I obey God, therefore I'm accepted. Jesus is a great teacher. So because I follow his teachings, God has to bless me. That is the thought process and the narrative of religion. However, a relationship with Jesus goes more like this. And this is the gospel. I'm accepted through what Jesus Christ has done. Therefore, I obey Jesus is a savior. He is the mighty one who has chosen me only because he has chosen me and because of what he has done, I am saved by grace and therefore I will obey. Do you see how it's flip-flops? Do you see how we um, in religions kind of make it about what we can do in our own merit, in our own strength to get his acceptance? But no, the gospel says that he has accepted us, he has chosen us, he has created us, and he has had this plan for us. And so we just receive the grace that he's giving us, receive the grace that he's bestowing us on us. And grace is a hard thing. Why is it, how many people have a hard time receiving a gift from somebody? Caleb, wait, what? <laughs> how many people have a hard time receiving grace? I always tell Caleb, don't, don't steal my blessing, babe. 
Don't steal my blessing. God is blessed when we receive his grace. He's blessed when we receive his grace because he's like, I want to freely give this to you. It's a hard thing to receive that something that is free. So if we're saved by grace, then I believe that the qualification for belonging to the family of God is receiving his grace. So how do you receive his grace? You're like, okay, if it's not works-based, how do I receive grace? You just believe in your heart that he's your savior and you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you'll be saved. That's, that's having faith right there. Just, I need you. Faith, I believe you. I believe that you died and you rose again, that, you're, that you, Jesus, are God as well. Number two, then we repent and we humble ourselves, we deny ourselves and we say, God, you are, you, you, you are the only one who can forgive me of my sins and wash me clean. So in humility, we're just acknowledging, we're not doing all this work. We're not like striving to do anything. We're just acknowledging that we need a savior. And when we have faith in our hearts and when we repent and we have humility and we acknowledge our need for a savior, then we obey because we're so thankful that we didn't have to do anything to receive his grace. The qualification for being a Christian, for being saved, for being a part of the family of God and belonging to the family of God is obedience. Let me, let me qualify obedience though. I don't believe that what religion does, I don't believe in it. It's outer compulsion. Like, oh, I need to do this in order to get this from God. But what God is asking for us and what obedience looks like for a Christian is an inner response that acknowledges that we need him, acknowledges that he's a savior, acknowledges and receives grace, so therefore we obey. And it's all about building relationship, not following a religion. It says this in Matthew 22, 36 through 37. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Commandment, there's that word, obey. This is something I have to obey. Yeah, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That, that is a command, but it's out of love. It's not out of compulsion, this outer compulsion. It's out of an inner response that, man, I love you. I love you. And then it says this, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Our faith hinges on these two commands. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. This is what he commands us to do. And it's out of the inner working of God and him telling us, oh, this, this, you've saved me. So out of this thankfulness, I'm gonna love you, God. And because you love me, then everybody around me deserves your love too. So I'm gonna love others. Those are the two commandments, but we're doing it out of the overflow of gratitude in our hearts for what he did already on the cross. Man, that's what he asks of us. We are called to build relationship with him first and build relationship with one another and therefore build the kingdom of God. That is what we've been called to do. And when we as a church come together and do his will, then we as a family are saying, man, we're gonna do this because we're co-heirs with Christ. God is our father and we're gonna do his will. You know, Jesus was about the will of God. Everything he did was about the will of God. And that's what we need to be about. We need to be about the father's business and the father's business is to love him and love others, love him and love others. 
and I want to close with a story. I know a few of you have heard this, but I really want us to truly understand what it means to be adopted into a family. Because I know that there are people here, yeah, no matter how hard or rough your family has, has been to you or whatever they've put you through, there is another family and it's a family of God where there's forgiveness, there's repentance. And when we can get healed up in the family of God, we're gonna go repair those other relationships but in Jesus' name, right? Because we're called to love God, love others, love God, love others. But we need to understand what it means to be adopted in the kingdom of God. And I remember him just revealing this to me when I married into Caleb's family. So every year, grandma and grandpa, oh my gosh, sorry guys, I think it's because you're here too, Randy. <laughs> my father-in-law is right there. So every year at Christmas, all the cousins would put on pajamas and we would all be wearing matching pajamas, adults in their full 20s and 30s wearing matching pajamas. Some of them got people in like onesies and stuff, it was awesome. And we'd take pictures, all that kind of stuff. So much fun. So, and everybody would get presents. And at the end of the night, every single person would get an envelope. And I heard about the envelope. The envelope had a lot of stuff in it and it was green. And so every single one of the cousins got an envelope and you know, I'm like trying to be polite. It's like my first Christmas. So I'm just like, oh my gosh, thank you. I'll open it later. And I'm like looking at Caleb and immediately, you know, oldest grandson opens it. Oh, sweet. Yeah. You know, so he opens it. He knows how much he got. And I go, whoa, that is very generous. Grandpa, thank you, grandma. And, um, and so I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Surely this is my first year here. I'm new here. You know, I'm new to the family. I'm brown. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. So I was like, surely it'll be like maybe half of that, three quarters of that. And then I open up the envelope and it was the same amount as Caleb, the first grandson, the oldest grandson. It was the same amount that every single grandchild received that night. And God spoke to me and he said, Chrissy, that is how I see you in the kingdom of God. You've been adopted into my family. Your family may be first generation Christians. Caleb's family may be like four generations strong of Christians, but I love you the same and you get the same inheritance as them. So if you're in this room and you've been like, oh, I've been saved for a week. God doesn't love me as much as they love the pastors. I'm telling you right now, God loves you as much as he loves me, as much as he loves you, as much as he loves a person running sound, as much as they love the kids downstairs. God loves us the same when we say yes to him, we are adopted into his kingdom and we have the same inheritance, the same inheritance as one another, but the same inheritance as Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father. May we understand and belong to the family of God so that we can do his will, so that we can help others understand that they can be invited into the family. We're not gonna just be this club of people that enjoys our Sunday mornings together. No, we're gonna extend our family the way Jesus extended their family. We're not gonna dishonor our biological family. We're gonna invite them in and our family's gotta continue to grow. That is what he wants to see, the kingdom of God grow so that everybody can have the inheritance of hope, love, joy, peace, endless, eternal life in him.
That's what we've been called to, church. That's what we've been called to, Project Church, family of God. Let's bow our heads in this place. God, we love you in this place. And we are so thankful. We have so much gratitude in our hearts that you love us so much. You love us so much. And so we're thankful in this place. And may our hearts overflow to actions that obey you, that are obedient. Listen, a relationship with Jesus promises an unconditional love greater than any that we have ever experienced. We're going to give opportunity every single week, every single week for people to come to know Jesus because it's the single most important decision that you will ever make in your life. It's more important than getting married. It's more important than starting a family. It's more important than finding that dream job. It's more important than you fulfilling that dream that you had in your heart and that vision. Listen to me, knowing the purpose, your purpose, apart from who Christ is and what he wants to accomplish in your life is gonna leave you empty and discontent. But when you come in relationship with a loving God who chose you, who does not forsake you, who calls you son and calls you daughter, there's eternal life in him. There's purpose in him. There's a will in him. And he wants to align your will with his will so that you can experience peace and joy everlasting. So if that's you in this place and you're like wanting to have a relationship with Jesus, to have a relationship with this person who loves us so much that he will share his inheritance with us. I'm sorry, not even share, but he will give us the same inheritance that he gets. If you want relationship with him, a loving father who will never forsake you, will never leave you, will never hurt you, will be faithful to you, and will hold to every single one of his promises, will not let you down. That is what I'm asking you to have and inviting you to have relationship with an amazing eternal God and Savior. If that's you in this room and you want to know Jesus more or you've walked away from him and you want to recommit your life to him, if that's you in this room, I'm going to count to three. And the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand if you want a relationship with Jesus. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see those. See that hand. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. We just extended our family. We've just invited more people into the family. Thank you, Jesus. As a family, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, let's pray together. Would you help me pray? Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. I accept you into my life. I believe in you, that you died and rose again, that I might have eternal life. I confess I need a savior. I can't do it on my own. Give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for this family. Thank you for your grace in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. We've extended our family. Let's give praise to him. He's good. Why don't you stand in this place? We're going to have some prayer partners make their way out. And I just encourage you, if you raise your hand or if you need prayer to come down here and pray and to solidify some of these things that we talked about today, again, it's the most important decision you can make in your life. So let's Let's pray with somebody this morning and let's just sing to God that he can have it all, right? He's not just the savior of our souls, but the Lord of our life. Amen. Come on, church.
We hope this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.